it's Big Will, a.k.a. Uncle Buck, a.k.a. Uncle All By Myself again here, man. Shout out to all my co-hosts out there. Uh, the illustrious co-host rotation that we have here, man. Um, I allow those guys to all take a luxurious one-week vacation from the podcast because I just try to be try to humble myself and be a good boss. I'm fresh off of the um, uh, stabbing by way of Texas, the band Stabbing, and uh, Defeated Sanity by way of Germany performance at uh, St. Vitus in Brooklyn last night. Afterbirth performed. You can hear my voice a little bit, man. I'm also you can hear it in my back too, man. If you, you can hear the snap, crackle, pops, carrying that merch. I, I decided to tough guy it out and put a merch box on my shoulder, um, uh, all the way down the block to the Jeep, man. It was it, it, I was feeling it the, ne- the next day today, man. Um, so all of you guys, shout out to everybody who bought Afterbirth records and shirts and patches and hats. You made that cumbersome stroll. Post show stroll uh, that much that much more delicate for me, man. You made it easier on my on my back. Shout out to everybody out there, man. I saw a lot of lot of people out there, uh, a lot of lot of people um, uh, coming up talking about the podcast. I appreciate all you guys out there, man. Um, shout out to Sam from Collapse to Me, the band Collapse to Me, man. I love that project. I um, missed out. I got to formal formally and publicly um, come clean and apologize to that man in person. Um, for lacking, uh, as the kids say, I was lacking when he asked me to do backup vocals. I wasn't prepared to, didn't have a setup in my house where I could record vocals. I I didn't have the time. I had a lot going on. Could not contribute to that project, man. That's the thing with the, like, I was thinking about this with the, with the, 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 the backup vocals and the guest vocals and that sort of thing. Nowadays, I see these people, they got setups in their houses like I got now. Uh, shout to Tom, Heavy Hole Podcast, got me with this microphone and the, the, the little MacBook and Reaper and all this stuff I don't understand, man. And, um, uh, you know, like now I, I could probably do that no problem, but it's like I just wasn't set up at the time. It's the same reason I've talked about on the podcast. Some people, because I'm, I'm listed in Metal Archives as a former member of Coma Cluster Void. Uh, brilliant, technical, uh, progressive, interesting, heavy project. I don't want to box in with words uh, too much, but you should check that out if you don't know. Um, I just couldn't contribute to that project. I couldn't keep up at the same pace with them. We talked about that when I had Mike DeSalvo, uh, formerly of Cryptopsy, on the show, because he he was uh, in that project. I just couldn't keep up. I was at a point where I had to go to a studio away from the house. You know, I had to pay for studio time. It, was just, it, wasn't, you know, it wasn't good for like an internet project, man. I kind of caught up over the last few years like everyone else. Um, but speaking of catching up, man, it was, it was good to see everybody there last night at the St. Vitus bar, man. Um, I got a lot of love for people there, man. Uh, uh, Lucas Lee was in the building. He hopped right up on that little bike. He cruises up to shows on, man. Uh, uh, saw the, uh, the guys from Thetis out there, man. I saw my boy John from Exsanguinated, man. A lot of people, man. Um, uh, saw the, the homie Rory, man. I, I think he, somebody told me that he's in, uh. Uh, Gridlink now or something, man. I, we got to catch up to these people, man. I, I got a long list of people I got to get on the podcast um, going back, man. And I got a few. Um, I We owe the Patreon people an episode, too. We're trying to catch up on that. But the Patreon people should already know um, the, tonight's guest. Because I'm talking about the band Dusk, the classic death doom band from Green Bay, Wisconsin, uh, if you're a Patreon listener, you already know because you probably heard the the special old school Milwaukee death metal recommendations episode. Um, old old school Wisconsin, <laughs> old school, 
old school Wisconsin um, uh, uh, episode. I, that's 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 like one of you guys from out in the Midwest, confused in New Jersey and Staten Island or something like that, man. All right, it's, it's fine. I can do that. But regardless, um, please uh, a warm welcome tonight, everybody, for the for the classic old school death doom band Dusk, who I was very happy to um, get on the show. Big Will from Heavy Hole Podcast, and I'm here with Tim Beyer, Steve Crane, and Sean Smith of the Green Bay, Wisconsin-based band Dusk. Is all that accurate, guys? Yes. Well, <laughs> well, welcome to Heavy Hole Podcast, uh, and I really appreciate you guys taking the time. The Patreon listeners know I've already done a bonus episode specifically about some of the more old-school Wisconsin death metal bands, and I mentioned you guys... Um, before I had even reached out behind the scenes, so I really appreciate you taking the time. I'm a big fan of the band going back and the, and, and the new material. We're going to break all that down. And like I told you guys behind the scenes, I want to get a little bit of each of your history before we, we, we even talk about how you come together as Dusk and, and, and get that. So um, I'll, just, I'll just go round, round table. Tim Beyer, um, guitarist uh, and keys, if I got that right. Uh, original member since 1993. Uh, the typical heavy hole question, are you from a musical family? Were there any musicians in your family or anyone that steered you into heavy metal and hard rock music growing up? Well, my dad and my aunt playing accordion didn't really push me into heavy metal, but uh, uh, I had a, I have four older sisters, and of course, some of them dated musicians. And then, uh, yeah, I just... Uh, started playing after one of my sister's boyfriends uh, brought a guitar in and I thought it was just awesome. <laughs> so I don't know. I was about 12, I think at my Arbor flying V. That's a, that's pretty sick for a, a flying V for the first. So where do you, where did things take a turn for the more like um, serious heavy metal? And what was it at that point? Oh, God. Well, I remember I was like 16 years old and I went to a music store and I saw an ad for a band. And there was a band called Acheron from Green Bay. So and it was some older guys, like 18, 19. I, you know, I'm just a little 16 year old kid and joined up with that band. And then we, of course, changed our name because there was already another Acheron. We changed it to Akeldama. And then our singer joined up with a band called bleed at the time which is now crawl and the guitar player and i steve gross who's not with us today he's he's already in bed because he works like really early first shift uh we decided we wanted to try something start a new band with you know a different sound than everybody else around the green bay milwaukee area that's kind of where we started. We found Steve Crane back in the day, and our original drummer isn't with us. We have Sean, of course, now. Okay. 
Well, let, let me stop you there because we ha- we have Steve Crane with us here today. Steve Crane. Now, do you do you guys go back to like high school, early? Like, what at what age are you guys roughly all around when you start Dusk back in the day? Like I was eighteen. Uh, yeah, I was nineteen, I believe, when I joined. And do you know each other from joining the band? We only know each other from the band. Uh, our friend Jason from Crawl, he's the one that I think found Steve. He said, hey, I know this guy way down in Kenosha who might be a good fit for this band that you're trying to start here. Got it. So, so Steve, same type of question. Um, musicians in your family, anyone that steered you towards heavy metal growing up, that sort of thing. Um, basically, I always just wanted to play an instrument. I didn't really have anyone in my family that played outside of, like, my grandfather, He was like a multi-talented musician. Like he was the kind of guy, like, you know, family gatherings, like he could pick up like any instrument and hold a tune, like just super talented from the stories I heard and stuff like that. Like, but other than that, I'm not sure of anyone that has any kind of musical background. And um, I just started playing guitar, like when I was in like 10th grade. I just started taking lessons, just learning, like, you know, the Metallica and the early Slayer kind of stuff, more like the thrashy, kind of like speed metal-y stuff I was into, like the early Metallica, Megadeth, and all that stuff. And then from there, it basically, like, evolved to, like, schizophrenia beneath the remains, you know, still more, like, the sepultura thrashy you know kind of like style and then from there you know it just kind of like you know that opened up the door to like the more heavier vocals the more down-tuned guitars the different speeds it wasn't always fast and technical it was more about like emotion and I found myself kind of like you know always having all of the other you know, the thrashy stuff, like, at the base of everything, I loved about it, but I really love, like, the emotion and the tone of, like, the more, like, doomier stuff. I started getting more into that, and I was, like, the only one of my friends that was starting to get into that, because everyone was still seeing who could play the fastest and all that stuff. And so I just somehow went on this journey of, like, just trying to find whether it was, like, the craziest music or you know just trying to find like something that I had never heard before and there was tons of it in the early 90s right like there was so many options and you could go into any store and just be like looking at covers of CDs or records and just being like this is super cool I'm just gonna try this out even though you've never heard the band before you know and hit some really great bands and some that you really didn't care for, you know? But that was kind of like my whole journey like that. As far as joining Dusk, um, I had never really, you know, had any, I had never even heard anything like it at the time. I just remember Tim showing me like a basement boombox recording of the very first song that they had actually already had written by the time I joined the band Envision the Terror. 
And I just remember like sitting down in my own basement on my own boombox playing that cassette. And I was just like, holy, man, this stuff is just totally different and totally incredible, you know? And I was like all in the second I heard it. I, it was like something that, you know, gave life to my soul. You know, there was like nothing I had ever heard. And I was just super excited. And I've been ever since, honestly. Yeah, uh, well, obviously up till this day now, and and we want to talk about your new album. But be, while we're in this, the the uh, the beginnings of the band, was it always the idea to have this band that used maybe some of the more brutal uh, tones and colors of of death metal uh, and grindcore, but um, stretched it out into this elaborate doom metal and had synthesizer parts and and everything? Like what? what Take take me through that. Was there a regional influence into that? Was it, you know, who, who's I? Because it, it seems a little bit maybe different from other bands of the time. I guess I can um, kind of answer. Yeah, I would say if I could have Tim answer that because it's kind of like his baby, his idea. I think he could answer it better than I could. Mine and uh, Steve Gross is, it's kind of the same. We we were really into once we heard. My Dying Bride, the Symphonaire album, we were like, oh my God, we love this. We love having these orchestrated pieces behind it. So we we didn't know any keyboard players, but there was a thing called the GR1 Roland guitar synthesizer. And so we used those to like, you know, do the violin parts and oboe parts and all the goofy parts you heard on the older stuff. And it's it was just added that layer that we liked so much just then sounding like the typical death metal band pretty much is that something like like pestilence might have used on spheres i think they did use the role in gr1 back in the day um we learned over the years that being tuned so low those Roland gr1s didn't track the notes very well so we had a lot of mishaps live where you'd hit a note and it would go like up an octave and we're like, what the heck is going on with this thing? So we've, uh, we've ditched those things now. Yeah. Live can be a different beast than in the studio. Always man, regardless. So now here's something I I wanted to talk about because you guys have the, um, uh, just, just for the listeners, we always talk about what, what, what's available and and what there is for people to listen to your self-titled EP, uh, obviously dusk, um, has been combined with the Majestic Thou in Rune full-length album um, from 94 and 95, respectively, by uh, Dark Symphony, um, the Crypt Records, if I got that correct. That's, what, that's, that's who put out that CD um, most recently. Uh, the, there's extensive liner notes, there's pictures, that sort of thing. I wanted to ask you about something from that uh, to maybe like coast us into the, uh, the era going right into the recording of your self-titled first EP. Um, it says in the thanks list, thanks to Sue Lindbergh for practice in a beautiful country mansion. And you guys expand on that a little bit in the liner notes that you've got to practice on this estate. Could, could, could you like, I mean, I think you know where I'm going, right? Could you maybe elaborate on that? Elaborate on that, Tim. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, at the time, uh, uh, how do we word this? Let's just say she was a a special friend of mine, and we worked together at a dog at a dog racing track. 
and uh i'd go in uh, in between races night night races and day races we'd go and we'd go to our little farm and feed her cows and horses and chickens and do all that good kind of stuff and uh eventually we needed a place to practice so boom there <laughs> we, we had that place sean's laughing well there's a long story behind that but uh, yeah we have a nice place to practice out in the country uh with uh fun farm animals too <laughs> there's plenty of stories that don't get told on the podcast man and i can tell that your bandmates might know a few but th- but that's i just want what i'm really inferring here is it sound when when you combine it with the cover art the photography to be found within you know the the um and the nature of the band itself uh, uh that kind of romantic doom metal um the idea that you guys you know prepared it and practiced it in a place like that it's very fitting and it and it um uh, it's not maybe what m- most people would would picture for like a, an old school kind of brutal death doom band of of the time. So I just wanted to like you know get into that. So so you guys got to practice the album and maybe tighten it up on there, and then you go into the studio. Well, anything remarkable about the the first recording? Because was that the first time you guys ever really like recorded a professional EP, or had other members had more experience than others going in? Was it a producer that knew metal in in general, or? I think uh, it was the first time any of us recorded in a real studio. Um, Eric Eric Thielen, he's the guy who was from Simple Studios. He he did every genre of band, a lot of punk bands and stuff around the Green Bay area. And I think he was the only guy we knew, so that's why we went to him. <laughs> and uh, pretty much, uh, we had to record our first album and second one. We recorded them all in one day because uh, we didn't have like funds or anything, basically, you know, to really take our time and go over everything. Everything's pretty much like sit down and record and get it done. And that's what you that's what you get. <laughs> uh, well, and it, it's, you know, especially for music like you guys were were and are doing, I should say, that's a little bit more elaborate and has a little bit more depth. Um uh, and, and, and Sean, not to ignore you, um, as we talk about these no, old days, I, I want to get your history, you know, and, and, and we're, and we're going to catch right up to speed, um, where you come in. I just want to throw that in there, but, uh, I wanted to get this out too. How do you guys hook up with cyber music, the label from Holland that would put out that first EP? Cause I looked it up. They, around the time they put you guys out, they're also putting out seminal releases by Agathocles, uh, Phlebotomized and Varathron. So you were in some like lofty cult death metal company we'll say i guess at the time uh i think it's too bad steve gross isn't here i think he's the one that probably found them and corresponded with them i i don't remember actually how we got hooked up with them fair enough man there's always there's always um different members that are networking different ways and all that sort of thing but Tell me a little bit about live. Were you guys performing live in the local circuit back then? And how well received was your sound um, in terms of maybe co- compared to more uh, like fast or aggressive bands of the time? Like, like, like in, in other words, you know, th- more traditional death metal or thrash metal that might have been around. I think people welcomed us. They They knew we were still part of that death doom type, you know, genre. So I we can play with you know different sorts of bands which is kind of good you know we can play with uh 
straight up death metal bands we can play with like stoner doom bands it, it, we can kind of fit fit in a couple different areas there so Fair. i think it was well received uh, steve do you remember <laughs> yeah i mean i think that we had kind of like a cult little group of fans that were like super into us and then you know we had just like fans of death metal in general but it always seemed like all the shows were very well received. You know, it was a lot of fun. Okay, man. And, and now, did you say before that the self-titled and Majestic Thou and Rune were all recorded in one session? Or did I get that wrong? No, separate times. Just all, <clears throat> each one was done in like one day, each time we recorded. Oh, God. okay. So each session was just a one-day session. That Okay, I understand now. Because as we move forward, the other thing I got out of some of the liner notes was that the Majestic Thou and Rune, um, about a year or so later, was inspired by time spent on Left Foot Lake. Um, <laughs> again, you know, maybe there's stories that stay within the band. What, what happens on Left Foot Lake stays on Left Foot Lake. But I don't know if you guys want to just elaborate on that and how that plays into the album and the vibe of the album. Because again... People who are fans of the band and, and, and who know your material like I do and, and see the artwork and the lyrics and everything, this idea of um, preparation for the album in a natural setting, uh, it's very romantic and maybe not what you'd picture for a Wisconsin-based death metal band, maybe something that more it's associated more with like the European bands. Um, and I think it's, it's great because it sets you guys apart. So maybe if you want to touch on that a little bit. Uh, basically, my, my mom and dad had a cottage on this little lake up we call it up north here in wisconsin and i don't know we'd all go up there and get pretty ripped and go out on the boat and steve would write lyrics and you know we'd party for a couple days and <laughs> basically uh try to come up with riffs and lyrics and steve if you if you got any uh stories from those times <laughs> yeah i just remember like being like on totally messed up being on the water on the boat i remember tim specifically jumping in and there was a song that we never actually released but i like sat there wondering if tim was going to die or if i was gonna have to save his life and <laughs> i just remember like writing these lyrics treading with the weight of the lake on my arms and so like i wrote like all of these lyrics and we actually like wrote some riffs and like came up with this song it was called two nothing and it was just like it, it didn't really even mean anything besides just like that <laughs> moment in time you know we never released it we just messed around with it but it we had a lot of fun on that lake you know just being outdoors and you know alluding back to like what you were saying about the overall like vibe of the artwork we were always about like being outdoors we were always about finding you know something you know, within nature that can speak to like a certain emotion, something like that. At least that's what I was always about, you know, and that's why that we put that in the liner notes is because to us, you know, back in those times, it was like a very sacred, awesome time. You sometimes know, like just we, the, we found a lot of inspiration in that lake, you know. Sometimes just the silence of our great North Woods was like inspiration, like in the mornings and stuff like that. Just we, we we got it made here in Wisconsin for nature and beauty and all that good stuff. 
Yeah, I've um I've driven through. I was recently in um Milwaukee. I'm not familiar enough with Wisconsin to know how how far that would be away from you guys. It's about two hours away. Yeah, I, I played um the uh what what is the do you guys know the venue out there that had the arcade venue? What is it called? Um, Great arcade. What's that? X-ray arcade. X-ray arcade. Yeah, I apologize to them for forgetting. Yeah, I, one of my bands performed out there, man. Great venue. Um, but oh but, yeah, it's a fun place. We played there before. That was our first show back. It was called something else when we came back in 2017. Yeah, the something, metal grill. The metal grill. Yeah. All right, all right. I want to. I want to get there, but I just have a few more quick questions because on the on majestic Dow and rune. You guys also brought in, you said like the guitar synthesizers, uh, maybe it was time for something different. And on Majestic Dow and Rune, you bring in um, Tim Plants, Plants Laugh, if I got it, on cello, uh, and Stephanie Raynal on um, uh, female vocals, we should say. Um, I don't know if you want to correct me on anything and, and maybe elaborate on what it was like bringing those people into the studio and introduce, were they familiar with death metal? What was it like collaborating finally with people from that world on this type of music? Tim Panslov is uh, the get one of the guitarists of the band Crawl. And I think uh, that's, he just, he played cello and he wanted to be part of that, that end of that song, the transfiguration. <clears throat> the female vocals at the time, that was our, old drummer's actual girlfriend at the time she's like a trained classical singer and everything she's still singing today in bands um obviously uh they broke up <laughs> so uh you know nowadays we have steve's friend down by him down in down by kenosha area down at the southern point of wisconsin that's he found our new female vocalist dana Okay, man. Um, and at that point, you guys, I know there's more, there's like more material recorded that is later released as a split, um, with Aphotic, which is Steve Gross's kind of other projects. Um, it gets, it gets a little, um, crossed with, 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 I guess, local members of your different music community and, and, and friends between the two bands, maybe. I don't know if you guys want to talk about just that period after Majestic Thou and Rune. I know at some point Steve Crane leaves the band, and that's where um, Chad uh, Denslow uh, comes in on vocals, and um, Keith, uh, is it? Keith Powers. Keith Powers comes in on bass. Um, and then then they record material with Steve Gross as a fight. I don't know if you want to talk about that and maybe just talk about what, what happens through the late 90s where the band initially um, takes takes a break or something. I think after Majestic and then uh, Steve Crane left the band, uh, you could probably go on with that, Steve, if you'd like. Um, and then basically we found Chad and Keith and we recorded the the slumber ep or album whatever you want to call it with jason from crawl because he worked at hyde music at the time and he wanted to record us there so we took a sunday when the store was closed and we used all their gear and recorded it there <laughs> um after after that things were just kind of fizzled out we none of us really had the, like the passion for it or it was like around 1998 or something. And it just didn't seem to, it didn't 
it wasn't like the old days with the original four. Got it, man. As as often happens. Now, I I think maybe this might be a good point to shift. Um, and as I said before, Sean, I didn't forget about you. I want to now maybe get, get a little bit of your background. Same line of question. Are you from a musical family? Anyone introduce you to playing instruments or heavy metal or hard rock growing up? That sort of thing. Uh, well, I actually kind of come from a musical family. My mom is a choir director and vocal teacher and uh, music teacher as well. Just general music uh, in like kindergarten through high school type of sense. Uh, and uh, she's really talented singer and piano player. And my parents were very devout growing up. Uh, no heavy metal in the house. Like, that was never a thing. I kind of discovered uh, this harder punk band called Dogwood. Um, they were a Christian band. And I found them at Lighthouse Bookstore, which is a Christian bookstore here in town. And I started getting into that band. And then I found this other band, Disciple. And... They were pretty heavy for a few albums back in like early 2000s, late 90s. And uh, that really got me into heavy music. And I forget how, I think it was Yahoo launch that really uh, helped me discover new types of metal and music. As a kid, I would sneak on the internet, dial up and watch Yahoo launch videos. And, you know, Slipknot, Rammstein, uh, Skinny Puppy. I was into some weird shit when I was like a, nine ten year old uh and some obscure stuff i'm having a brain fart right now but um yeah i just blossomed into uh wanting to get as uh heavy as i possibly could over time and defy my parents will you know kind of thing <laughs> angsty stuff well, uh how old how old are you when you start playing drums uh 10 years old my parents want me to play clarinet in the band I insisted that I play drums, and I, uh, the music teacher in my fifth grade band class was only allowing people to play percussion if they took like six months of piano, and uh, he basically auditioned me on snare drum, and I nailed it. And he was like, "Okay, well, you can skip the piano part. You're just going to be the main drummer now." <laughs> so sweet. That yeah, worked out good. All right, what? Well, I should say this as a are you are you from the uh, the same area, Green Bay, Wisconsin? And what I'm getting at is, uh, at what age do you become aware of the band Dusk, or do you only maybe know of them by way of meeting them because they need a drummer? Like, how does that factor in? <laughs> uh, actually, none of the above. Um, I've never heard of Dusk until it was it was like five years ago. I ran sound for them at a venue called SV2. Is no longer around. It's a really great venue. They support a lot of music, um, but especially metal. And I was uh, the house audio company. Um, I have an audio production company that I ran for 13 years and then just recently sold it uh, so I could kind of be a musician again, start a landscape company. But uh, Dusk was on the bill that night, and I was mixing them for the first time, never heard them, and I was blown away. It was amazing heavy dark music and i cried a little bit working that night because it was so stupidly dark like nothing i've ever heard before so that was really nice treat as a sound guy especially because it was interesting stuff and i was able to get them like really rumbling in the venue 
and it was just a successful positive experience and they wanted me to be their sound guy for maryland death fest uh coming up because they already had that in the works and then um i don't know what exactly happened but shimron left the band uh and then they asked me to be the drummer instead so okay and and that's that were were you i guess i should say did you have experience prior to that playing drums um in a in a in a comparable band a band that played original songs an extreme metal band something of that nature yeah i had already been uh in a decent handful of bands uh my first band was silence all and uh we actually played a lot of shows with another band called pale gray sky and i'm pretty sure we played probably played with tim at some point when i was a kid and never knew it and then me and tim met because of his band uh profane and decivilize uh was it what band were you in at the hideout days tim was i think it was civilized we, yeah, okay. we, uh, we did a weekly show and sean's band would come in and play like once a month and we did me and my drummer we just wanted to get out and do something on wednesday so we set up a weekly show and that's how i met sean and i i knew he was a good drummer and I was like, yeah, hey, was, you want to be our drummer? <laughs> yeah, back in those days, I was a 19-year-old kid getting drunk with old guys like Tim. Yeah. <laughs> playing heavy metal. I'd, I've been in a few bands, Crater, Atreus, and um, Erroneous was my latest one. Uh, Erroneous is a tech death band. And uh, I got really into the tech stuff for quite a long time. And then joined Dusk and starting starting to mellow out again but crater is uh also still going and people have described us before as like primus meets gojira three-piece instrumental <laughs> so it's kind of an eclectic mix what i'm drumming these days okay crate crater I'm, I'm gonna look that i'm gonna tell the, the listeners to look that up too crater with sean smith of dusk um and i do i have this um uh wrong d- d- sean did you perform on the withdraw ep or was that before you? i did yeah. Yep. yeah okay i thought i had i thought i had something crossed there so that's like the first official release from dusk um uh coming back like really since since i guess the split with aphotic right that's like the the first release of the kind of new era of dusk yep yeah basically we got the band back together it was like 2015 we started talking about it about doing it and our original drummer was all for it. And then we played our hometown show and we played down in Milwaukee. And then he had some kind of health problems. I'm not, I don't want to get into it really mm-hmm. too much. And yeah. Yeah. That's basically why he left again. And that's how we found Sean. So, and oh. then uh, Sean had uh, his own recording studio. So we were like, hell, let's record a three song EP. <laughs> That, yeah, mixed and mastered that one. That that always always helps to have someone in the band who has um some know how in that area, man, and um uh, some some resources. So you come back and you put it out on Dark Symphonies, I guess we should say Slash the Crypt Records, um a label I'm I'm very familiar with because they put out a lot of they reissue a lot of um fairly obscure but great old albums from all over the world. Um, and, and they, they do, they do release, uh, very specific newer, uh, uh, recordings by bands. How do you hook up with that label? Cause it's, it, it does seem like a perfect combination 
um, with with the kind of audience that they've built around the the stuff they press. Go ahead, Steve. Um, basically, you know, we were just. Uh, in conversation with Ted and he was actually the one that kind of like spearheaded us getting back together he just like reached out and he was like talking about you know wanting to reissue the old material make like an actual like vinyl kind of combine everything I, initially you know he wanted to like release all of the old dusk material that never really materialized we just kept it to the first two releases, but it was basically because of Ted just reaching out and, you know, just sharing his heart for our band, you know, and just saying how much of a fan of the band that he was. And then he actually, we were telling him that we actually did get back together. We are writing new material and he actually offered, he was like, Hey man, I've never really done this before, but if you guys want to, release your new material the withdraw ep he was like i'd totally be down for it you know and so we had that in the works but when we were playing maryland death fest it was already being pressed and shortly after that is when that record came out and so that's kind of like um all ties into what's going on with the newest um dusk record is he basically you know reached out again and he was like he was saying if you guys ever like you know have any new material at all he was like i would be honored to release it for you guys and we're like we love you man you're awesome we've had nothing but a great time with you i mean basically got us back together and i said we would love to do that you know after talking with the guys everyone feels the same i mean ted is highly respected in the genre Everyone knows who he is, who knows anything about underground, obscure metal, you know, and we could not be happier with that little marriage with Dusk and the Crypt. Uh, fair enough, man. And I encourage the listeners to check out that label in general if they're not familiar to know what we're talking about more. Um, and just like they should check out all the music we're talking about now. Um, so... Back in the first era, I guess I should say, of Dusk, did you guys get the opportunity to tour around and play outside of Wisconsin much? Not really. <laughs> okay. Well, what I'm getting at is I know of at least two things I wanted to bring up here. One you already mentioned was MDF 2018. Um, from the pictures I've seen, it looks like you guys got to play for a pretty good crowd uh, at, I think it was what, like five thirty in the afternoons in one of the days. So that, that, that seemed like a good spot. I don't know if, um, maybe that's just the angle I saw it from, but I wanted to get your guys' reflections on that. Who wants to go first? Go for it. Okay. Um, it was pretty cool for me. Uh, Sick Turner Magazine was there, uh, an affiliate, uh, taking video and they featured me, uh, for a little bit of the performance. And uh, I grew up reading Sick Drummer. Thank you, Ian McDonald, for that hookup. Um, and uh, it was just quite an honor to have them there. I was probably a little shy and stupid about it, you know, <laughs> thinking back, you know, a little bit younger. But uh, that was quite an experience for me. I've played on big stages before, but having Sick Drummer there was just kind of a childhood dream come true.
that um oh basically i mean it was an honor to be invited to play a festival like that hopefully we get in the future now hopefully we get some offers to get on some more like that and um i don't know it was a really great show it was fun yeah, there there was a lot of people there. I mean, uh, the pictures uh, were accurate. I mean, I was kind of overwhelmed for a second, you know, <laughs> like um, looking out because I had never played for a crowd that big, you know, and it was like a gigantic show for us, kind of like trying to, you know, come back after so many years and, you know. I'm older now and I was kind of freaking out for a second, but as soon as we got out there and just started playing, it was just like us playing in the practice spot, you know, we were just vibing and rocking and it was super awesome. I would just like to thank uh, Jamie and from Brodequin and my good friend of mine, John Engman, who used to play in Brodequin. Cause they kind of like hooked us up with Ryan and Evan to get on the Maryland death fest. So I just wanted to throw that out there as well. Yeah, shout out to those guys, um, former guests of the show uh, in their in their own right, um, and hopefully some future guests of the show uh, in, in that, that statement you just made. Um, we love those guys, and we, we, we talk about a lot of uh, MDF memories, so we wish them all the best going forward. One other thing I wanted to talk about in terms, while we're in, in this conversation, you guys also did just about a week, maybe eight days, supporting Master on a U.S. tour the following year, no? Yeah, we did, actually. A uh, buddy of ours uh, reached out, and he was saying, you know, he's like kind of like works a lot with Master, and obviously we're familiar with Master as a legendary band, and he was saying, you know, like, you know, I think you guys would be great to do like a tour with them you know we couldn't do the whole entire tour because it was extensive with just work schedules and finances and things like that but yeah we jumped on that and that was actually that was a really fun time like we drove all the way from wisconsin and started the tour in san diego and so just you know just hanging out and had a bunch of adventures on the road and stuff it was it was super fun we'd like to do it again sometime Definitely. Yeah, um, Paul Speckman was a guest on the on the show uh, a few years ago. Man, he was one of the most interesting guys I think I've ever talked to, and he was very casual and fun to have on the show too. Man, he he, uh, I felt like he just kind of spoke his mind, um, said said what he felt, and he had a lot of a lot of incredible stories that he could back up. Oh yeah, he he was. It was really something hanging out with that guy every day for, for those <laughs> few days, you know, <laughs> like every time, you know, he'd like pull one of us aside and just tell us something or, you know, he was just like, or even if it was just something is like, you know, like he just, I just remember one day he just like walked into our like crappy little hotel room and like, we weren't even expecting them to come, but we had, we had told those guys where we were staying and then like two hours later they like come in and he just like barges in and he's got like his whole bottle of jack and he's like throws it in my face and he's like grandpa said you gotta drink <laughs> <laughs> and so yeah, there was just like so many of those and then he would just like kind of like pull us aside here and there and give us words of wisdom and you know 
you know, all these little things of stuff that he's been through. He's super awesome, super great guy. Yeah, live wire, man. I encourage the listeners to go back and check out that interview for sure, man. Um, we'd love to speak to him again uh, and see Master in person. I saw that. I said, wow, that's awesome. That Because, you, you know, obviously, like you said, Dusk hasn't done that many tours, but to say that you did a week with Master out on the road, that's um, that's real. And you did you, a lot of it through the South and through Texas, man. Uh, so cheers to you guys yeah. for that. Did, did it happen to be in the summer? It was. It was like in August. Yeah, it was no. all the way in the summer. <laughs> it was like a hundred and something degrees half the places we were. Got a little taste of that crazy tour tour life, man. Um well on that note, looking forward, looking ahead, uh uh can can fans of Dusk expect you guys to do any more touring or festival appearances? Is there any plans or um uh, are you guys right, right just in album mode and that's gonna come later? Well, after this album, we'd love to possibly do a couple little uh, two, three week tours every now and then. Nothing major. Um, we would like to get on some good festivals. Uh, we've been working really hard behind the scenes to get ready for everything like that. And yeah, I, I, we actually, I got a hold of the guy that did the tour with Master and us, the the booking agent guy, and he said anytime we want to go out, he he could help us book one and. Maybe we'll see if there's some bands that want us to come and join one of their tours if they get something set up. We'll we'll see. We're not trying to, you know, make a living doing this. This is just kind of more for fun now. <laughs> uh, fair enough, man. That's that's how most people get in the underground, man. But there are people yeah. out there that do do want to see it, and there are people that want to hear this upcoming album. If I got it right, the new album is going to be Dissolve into Ash, right? Correct. Yeah. Uh, and that's that's coming out as you said on Dark Symphony slash The Crypt. Um, shout to Ted. Uh, is there anything I don't know if you, if uh, you want to be tight lipped about the new album? But this is why you know the obligatory questions about the new album. Um, I don't know if you want to get into maybe uh, is there other types of live instrumentation other than your typical electric guitars and 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 your drums like you guys have used in the past. Uh, is there anything maybe unexpected? Is there anything you do want to expound on about the new album uh, for fans of the band and people who are familiar with the material from the past? I don't know. This time we made sure that we were super happy with how crushing it had to be, basically. We had to make sure that we were all happy with how the heaviness of it. Uh, we did use the old Roland guitar synth uh, for some of the keyboard stuff. I think Sean did some uh, weird throat vocal weird yes. sounds in one of the songs. Uh, yeah, I synthesized a lot of uh, recordings of my own voice. Uh, well, I, I put them into a you know mini controller in in Reaper and augmented them in many many ways to create a bunch of unique sounds. They they let me write an entire song on this album minus the lyrics. And they didn't change anything about it, which really surprised me. But uh, that'll be my one little treat on the album, Shrouded in Mist. Mm. Yay, Sean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, uh, now, uh, just just from my curiosity, I'm not much of a tech guy, but could you just break that down just a little bit more, what you did with your voice? Uh, I, I assume you kind of, like, I guess, modulated it or something like that in a program? and Yeah, I have a... A plugin called Iris, made by Isotope, 
and you can upload your own wave files of whatever sound you want and blend them with other things and uh you know like you said modulate and automate uh different effects into them and uh i run them back through a midi keyboard and i can actually play them melodically on a keyboard whatever sound that i recorded through the microphone first uh with all the experimental effects on top of it okay cool because so, we do from time to time we talk tech and gear on this and i don't know if maybe there's a good point to segue quickly if you guys want to get into any specific gear that you used uh purposefully on this album whether it's a guitar uh drum equipment um uh cabs and heads pedals anything of that nature i just want to give you guys the floor for a minute um you know uh, steve i see you got some guitars right there behind you on the wall yeah no, I just had my old Warwick. I recorded the album with that. Um, it's like the obvious thing for that I've found so far. But basically, I actually recorded my stuff through Tim Byers' Fractal, and I added like a dark glass um, DI to it and some other effects just to try to make it like a little tougher, you know? as opposed to sounding uh it has a little bit of drive to it and i think it's a little evident on this record compared to withdrawal especially the bass tone is like a thousand times better i think you know tim helped me out with um programming all of the bass effects and things like that on in there so yeah that was very helpful Basically, Steve Gross, the other guitarist, and I uh, upgraded our gear. We got the Axe FX Fractal FM3s, just the, the the smallest versions of the Axe FX rack rack effect guitar processors, and um, yeah, we used that um, diesel and Mesa Boogie cabinets. Uh, Possibly a Marshall cabinet. I can't remember now. Um, <laughs> Steve's bass rig was set up. Yeah, it was a studio compressor into a dark glass to uh, distortion into an Ampeg SVT into a 4x10 and a 1x15, I think it was, or it was a 1x18. I can't remember. I'd have to turn it on and look, but uh, his, his live Mesa Boogie bass amp sounds pretty damn good too <laughs> and then, uh, i recorded um on a mapex pro-am in uh my fiance's basement and uh into a dl32 midas and into reaper into the computer okay yeah, basically we recorded everything ourselves we had it mixed and mastered at our friend david pietela's uh source track studios it's here in um, the Fox Valley region of Wisconsin by Appleton. And he did a good job. All right, man. We're looking forward to hearing it. I appreciate you guys sharing. We have a lot of different listeners who are um, on the, the production end or the, the musical end of things. Um, and, and we like to get a little behind the scenes talk going. I will give you the floor to promote and plug anything I may have neglected to mention. But as we wind down, um, uh, before I remind listeners one more time to watch out for Dissolve Into Ash, your upcoming new album on Dark Symphonies, The Crypt Records, I'm going to ask each of you guys to go around. This is like the, the winding down question I always do. And please recommend 
uh, just any type of music, any album, demo, EP, any genre, just something from back in the day, a little bit older, and something a little bit more recent for us, uh, metal or otherwise, um, just because just it's a musical podcast, and we always ask people for recommendations. For me, I, I love obituary, and the new obituary. Jeez, <laughs> uh, I haven't had a chance to listen to much in the last six months because we've been working on this album and basically it's all i listen to a lot but uh yeah go ahead steve i, I don't think about this a little more <laughs> fair enough i mean for me i uh i like a newer band called sewer fiend i'm not sure if you've heard of them at all i mean they're just dark, they're dark and nasty grimy less their name would imply yeah. i like them a lot um i like worm obviously i'm a gigantic fan of them um i like older stuff disembowelment yeah i like the very very old like obituary as well i like the brand new obituary as well um immolation i like the old very old immolation stuff i always liked how they could just like find that groove and they were super super heavy but they still like found a way in like almost every song to break into that groove to me that was awesome you know um trying to think of there's like a couple other newer bands that but i've and finding myself not listening to like doomy stuff as much i'm listening to more like primitive like death metal like almost like demo stuff i'm finding myself going back to that for some reason i can relate i could i could totally <laughs> relate um uh sean you want to weigh in yeah sure uh i have been stuck on sugar's nothing mm. for I feel like half my life and that album never gets old to me. And if you're not a Meshuggah fan uh, or never heard of them, even like I would suggest checking out nothing. Um, I mean, all the albums are just insane to me. I'm a huge kind of rhythm junkie, you know, and time division junkie. So that just really speaks to me a lot. But as of recently, I've, uh, discovered a band called draconian uh to get my doom fix uh been listening to them the last week or so and uh my lady melody different totally different genre showed me alt j as of recent kind of jammy rock musy something or another jam band sort of thing but a lot of talent in that band and also really tasty drummer alt j okay. we want to get Sean into some of the older stuff we used to listen to when he was like three or four years old and like anathema or anathema whatever you however you call it my dying bride cathedral stuff like that I, a lot of the, the old peaceville stuff yeah good old deicide and yeah i'm just trying to look pestilence i got i got into deicide back in the day Excellent. This is my deicide, dying fetus, uh, necrophagist, cannibal corpse phase. That, that that's more my uh, my generation of death metal, man. I, I had to do a little homework um, uh, to get into my dusk 
phase. I got to ask quickly, just given the style of music and how long you guys have been around, are you familiar with the band Gray Skies Fallen from New York City? Actually, I am not. Okay, just because they've been around since the early 90s playing um, a comparable style of death doom, maybe in a climate that, that wasn't uh, where there, there wasn't as many bands. And Rick from that band uh, is a bandmate in some other projects of mine, a good friend of mine. We've had him on the podcast a lot. So, um, but yeah, so as we wrap it up then, guys, I know, uh, Sean, you mentioned you have a band, Crater. Um, uh, is there, is there any other projects that you want to recommend or talk about? I'll give you guys each, if you want to go around, if there's like side projects, other things you want to plug, uh, or, or promote right now in, in any way. Um, we really have any side projects going on. I just, we should mention that, uh, we have Miguel from dread records, the cassette label putting out dissolve into ash also. Oh, God. Yeah, if I yeah, I didn't mean to neglect that. I do have that. Yeah, and I, I, I've I ordered uh, tapes. I actually got the, the, the two Phantasm tapes from Miguel from Dread Records, um, I think, last a few months ago, man. Shout out to him. Always putting out quality stuff uh, and putting out the new Dissolve Into Ash album. Yeah, so I, I, yeah, sorry about that. But yeah, guys, anything else you want to plug or promote? Uh, yeah, definitely check out Crater. There are a few Craters out there. We're the only Crater... Uh... As far as I can tell, it's a three-piece, weird, experimental type of metal. Uh, we're on Spotify. It's the album with the the dead fish bones on the cover. Uh, we affectionately just call it Crater. It's the bum. Uh, short for album. That's our vocalist's name, album. <laughs> and uh, the last band I I departed a few years ago, Erroneous. They're still pumping out crazy tech. All the time, Ryan Bromlick is just a savant on the guitar and uh, has limitless amounts of material that he just continues to record and record. And they probably are two albums ahead of themselves right now uh, with Insane Tech, if you like that. A-R-O-N-I-O-U-S, Erroneous. I played in the first two albums. Fair enough, man. Okay. People want to hear you pick up the pace a little bit. The the the, the, yeah, the dust right. spins. <laughs> All right. Uh, anything else, guys? Uh, basically, if if you want to find us, it, it's Dusk USA official. It's with uh, Dusk being such a broad name, we had to do something. So if you're trying to tag us on Facebook, uh, you get, it's best to try to type in Dusk USA official. Usually, it'll come up that way. Our website is duskusaofficial.com. Um, that's the way you find us on Instagram and Twitter. I don't think we're going to try to do much more social media, um, more, more accounts on other social media. We're, we're just keeping it to that basically. And, uh, we'll, we'll start promoting a lot more now. We've been kind of quiet on social media for a while as we got things done, but we'll start posting, we'll start getting into it and getting out getting into promotional mode now that we've got the the hard work done so fair enough man and uh, we hope we can drive some of our listeners uh your way then so again like we said we encourage the listeners to check out um not not just look out for the new album dissolve into ash on dark symphonies the crypt and on dread records um, but look into that back catalog, uh, check out, uh, Crater, as you said, and, um, guys, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate it, man. We'll be in touch as this episode goes up. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Cheers, man.
right, big shout and thank you again to the members of Dusk. Um, we're going to be on the lookout for the, the, the new album. We're going to be on the lookout for uh, any shows and things that they do, man. Please follow them on social media. Um, and, and go back and check out that older material if you can. It's been re- re-released in uh, very nice packages by um, Dark Symphonies uh, slash The Crypt. Uh, shout out to Ted. We'd love to have him on one day eventually, too, man. I'm looking at right now. I got this CD of uh, Withdraw. This three-song EP that they put out in 2015. Don't let the fact that it's three songs fool you because it's three Doom Death songs. They're a little bit longer. But um, uh, speaking of long on the tooth, I got a couple of recommendations right now that I will uh, expound on, man. Expound and exhort, as they say out there um, uh, in, in the uh, in the Midwest. Uh, since I don't have a co-host and I'm kind of flying solo tonight, I'm just like doing like guilty pleasure stuff right now. And I got two of my guilty little, not really guilty pleasures, just kind of like going through my, I, I didn't dig too deep. Like I felt like I could just kind of talk about stuff right now. I wasn't trying to play, uh, anti up flex on Dave Gladding, um, or, you know, one of my other co-hosts or somebody, you know, I wasn't trying to like, you know, prove intellectual metal elitism superiority to somebody. I was just kind of going for, um, uh, personal favorites tonight for the recommendations. And I'm going to go old and I'm going to go older, honestly, man, because my first one is from 1996 on Theologian Records, uh, Pessimizer Theologian Records, which people might know where I'm going already. I'm talking about Expression of Pain by Excruciating Terror. Um, it's just a remarkable grindcore album. Personally, I love anything Excruciating Terror ever did put out. Um, and, I, you know, we will talk about them. We have talked about them in the past on this program. We will talk about them in the future on this program. I have reached out. Um, there's been some behind-the-scenes back and forth with um, ex-members of that band. Uh, hopefully one day we can get somebody to, 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 to give an interview. That would be great, man. Shout out to those guys. Um, but I just want to talk about this now because it's summer and it's fucking hot out. I have this thing because, um, I don't know, because I'm an idiot, I guess. When it's really hot out and I get home from work, you know, I, I think I'm done for the day, get you know, my little chores done and things, man. I just chill out. And I want to. It's time to put on some death metal, or well, well, I should say, it's time to put on some music. I occasionally listen to music that's not death metal, and it's really hot out. I have a thing where I want to have a nice cold beer. And I put on some excruciating terror, and I close my eyes, and I almost feel like I'm in California. I don't know why. It's like maybe some people like would do that with the Eagles or something, and like picture themselves being in California. I put on excruciating terror, and I picture myself in like Los Angeles, circa 1996, um, smoking a blunt, uh, drinking a 40, and listening to this this wonderful grindcore opus. Uh, th- this is great. Oh, look, all kidding and exaggeration aside, I do listen to this in the summer when it's hot. I, I, I have a thing for California music when it's hot out here in New York. I think maybe that's when I can relate to it more or something. I, I, I don't know. Or maybe I just try to pretend I'm in Cali. I love California. Um, and I love Excruciating Terror. been one of my favorite bands for a very long time. I want to say I might have first heard them on that um, Fiesta Comes Alive uh, compilation, the Slap of Ham Live compilation, but it might have even been before that, back when I was in high school. I love the fact that they have an obvious kind of death metal. They're informed of death metal. They have um, maybe like an intro or interlude kind of doom metal song adjacent on, on, on their albums, but it's it's just strictly pure brutal grind i always lumped excruciating terror in with phobia in my uh, head cannon 
of extreme metal because they were both California bands that in my head kind of stacked up with like the canon of the the old school grindcore. You know what I mean? And excruciating terror was a little bit associated with that power violence scene, that Slapperham record scene, and so on and so forth. Maybe maybe more of a regional geographical um, correlation, but they. Uh, they stand up with squash bowels, dead infection, you know, you you name them, man. Uh, Napalm death, even I'll 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 say it, man. I I really think excruciating terror is pound for pound, minute for minute, second for second, one of the best grindcore listens you're gonna get. Um, any 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 output they had really is recommendable. But I happen to grab this expression of pain album that I'm gonna probably put on a little bit later, and there's something also about it that is timeless, and maybe a little bit ahead of its time in the way. There's something very street and hip-hop. I could see maybe hip-hop and skater culture being implied a little bit in this. You read the thanks list. You see the picture. They have the E.T. graffiti on there. They take a picture with their neighborhood in the background. There's just something about this um, that's very relatable. And maybe that's also part of why they kind of like fit in with the power violence scenes. There's something about this that's just kind of street and kind of real. The song titles... Uh, you know, it's every, and then, and then there's obviously, like I said, there's a nod to death metal in the writing. This is serious stuff, man. It's, it's really brutal, heavy music. Uh, you can't talk it to death either, which is why I'm kind of just gushing over it. And I want to just, um, now that it's summer and we're having this particularly hot summer, which is depressing, but, um, if there's anything I could add to the situation by way of being like a, uh, uh, an internet death metal and gore grind DJ, uh, it would be that, that, uh, that this is a, a good summer pick, man. If you want to pretend you're right at home there in California, get yourself a nice cold 40 and um, pop on some excruciating terror, man. I'm going to ask my producer, Tom, to ring it in now, now with uh, excruciating terror's expression of pain, man. 1996. Thank you, Tom. Pour, pour out one for yourself, too, buddy. And my next one, uh, I'm going to throw back even further, man, because I, f- I feel like we do due diligence on this podcast covering new music from time to time. We bring in new records. I try to talk to the younger artists. You know what I'm saying? Today, I just felt there's no co-host. Uh, this this is this is Will Will going wild. Will with the leash off. I'm just recommending what, what I what I really am, am jamming here uh, on the CD player here at Smith Manor in the um, in the recreation area. I should say. I'm talking about Benediction's Subconscious Terror album from 1989. Um, Barney Greenway, which um, maybe more people know from his uh, uh, Nate work in the past and currently uh, in Napalm Death, um, and rightfully so. Benediction, um, Barney Greenway used to front this band, uh, which is much more of a death metal, old school death metal type of field. Benediction, obviously, still hardworking in the game. I see them popping up on festivals. I see their albums out there, all that sort of thing. And to be perfectly honest, I believe I have brought up their album Grand Leveler 
uh, on the podcast, which was a little bit later into the 90s, which I love. That's probably my favorite Benediction album. But lately, I picked up this copy of Subconscious Terror from 1989, Nuclear Blast Records by Benediction, and I gave it a shot. I gave it another listen because, you know, sometimes you listen to something and then six or seven years later, you hear it again with whole different ears. And I had more patience for it, and I loved it in the same way I love a lot of other albums that I've gushed over on this uh, podcast before. Um, Just a very, you know, it was recorded in 89, released in 90. I feel like it was very straightforward death metal. This is, in, in other words, this is... Obviously, thrash metal is a factor in any any extreme metal album recorded in that time period, but these guys were really embracing uh, the extreme part of it, the grindcore and death metal part of it, for how much you could in 1989 and how far you could push it. I don't want to get too wrapped up in comparisons because you you know you eventually you just come back to comparison comparing it to the the bigger albums that were released back in the in those days, um or in eighty nine and ninety. But something that really struck me about this was Barney Greenway's kind of guttural throaty vocals, um which have always set him apart a little bit and have inspired a lot of vocalists uh, in, in in the in you know a sense. Uh, they they really add a different quality to this kind of primitive death metal that was going on here. Um, they, they just add more brutality. The drum sound on this, the drum performance and recording with all due respect is not spotless. This is a, it's, it, it, it sounds like a live in the room drum recording. Um, and there's a, there's a, there's a, oh, I, not that this is punk, but there's a punk rock spirit to it. There's, and that's something that I think maybe over the years of death metal, I wouldn't say got lost, but became separated from it in some of like the tech death genre type stuff and the more clean clinical type stuff. But this has a very punk rock and hardcore feeling to it in the raw live quality that they captured on this. So I would say that too, man, going into this. It's more raw. There are the performance captured on this. Maybe it might even be for budget reasons. You know, who knows what the studio time was doing to them back day, back in the day and how much of a budget they had. But all I know is that they captured a really timeless kind of raw death metal performance. And this is something maybe fans of Massacre's From Beyond album or Cadaver's Hallucinating Anxiety album might want to revisit. Just albums that are... Um, just raw and old school and so old school death metal that they really predate a lot of the more technical uh, and clinical trends in death metal, which are fine. Um, I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not down, you know, putting down anybody. We've talked about a lot of those bands too, but this is just, you know, if you, if you ever wanted, if, you know, if you love Napalm Death in their more death metal influenced eras, I know it's probably a little bit um, taboo to, to to just recommend Benediction, or maybe it's a little bit just simple. It's a little bit reductionist to recommend Benediction to Napalm Death fans just because of the Barney Greenway thing, but I think it's appropriate because uh, Napalm Death had some of their more death metal albums in the um, early 90s, and this is kind of like, this is the middle ground between grindcore and death metal in the late 80s right there. So this is, it's just awesome stuff, man. Give it a shot, man. If you want something extra raw, check out Benediction, Subconscious Terror, 10 songs, um, Nuclear Blast, uh, 1990, like I said, man. Tom, bring them in.
I appreciate you guys joining me. Uh, it's Friday afternoon here. Like I said, man, I'm fresh off of that uh, that afterbirth stabbing and um, defeated sanity gig at uh, St. Vitus. I want to shout out former guest of the show, uh, Dave Castile from um, St. Vitus Bar uh, and all the other staff who work very hard there at the St. Vitus Bar, the sound engineers, the bartenders, the door staff, everybody there, man. Wherever you're going to your shows, even if it's not at the St. Vitus Bar, respect the staff, man. People are working hard out there. People are trying to make a living just like everyone else while we're having fun and doing our thing. Um, that was such a great time there last night. That's why the St. Vitus Bar is a beautiful place, man. Very professionally run, too. Uh, so shout out to all my people I saw there last night. I saw so many people, man. Um... Uh, a lot of former guests of the show running around that place last night. It was it was great. And uh, you can go to um, nycmetalscene.com. Shout out to Matt, always booking all the shows up there. Um, uh, hooking up all the show listings on nycmetalscene.com uh, for people who are uh, traveling to the New York City or the Tri-State or even the, the East Coast, pretty much, the, the Northern East Coast. He, books, he, he lists a lot of shows. Uh, from all over the region there, man. When people are coming from out of state or out of the country visiting New York, they ask me, what about shows? Where should I go for shows? First, I say St. Vitus Bar. Uh, and then I say, check out nycmetalscene.com because he lists just about everything that's that's um, in the five boroughs and beyond, I'll just say. Uh, and so I, I want to remind people also, man, um, uh, Reeking Aura, uh, of course, it's going to be an honor for us to be going out there on the road supporting Atoll. Animals Killing People just added to the package. Animals Killing, former guest of the show, Wilson, check him out, man. Um, we got the whole story with all his bands and Ammo, uh, other people. Who, but there's a lot of different members that have been through that band over the years. Animals Killing People added to this bill, so all supporting Pyrexia. Uh, we're heading down to um, Maryland. We're heading to the Carolinas. We're heading to Florida, Georgia, Delaware, New Jersey. Check check everybody out on social media, man. Reeking Aura, Atoll, Pyrexia, and Animals Killing People now added to the bill, man. Check us out on social media for the dates. That's going to be uh, the first two weeks of August we're going to be out there on the road, man. And um, I think that should be that. that's probably about it for this episode. I'm going to go drink some, uh, allegedly I'm going to drink some hot tea for my voice. Um, it is Friday night. We'll see what I get into down at the bodega. I don't know, man. But everybody else, man, uh, be good to yourselves and each other. Like Jerry used to say, R.I.P. R.I.P. to my man Tony Bennett. God damn, man. I saw that, man. That's uh, uh, I saw Tony Bennett with my Uncle Frank uh, several years ago at the Westbury Music Theater, man. It was a wonderful performance. His daughter opened up the show. She was pregnant. She was singing, and she put on a, a wonderful performance, man. Really glad I got to see that now. Rest in peace to Tony B., um, uh, wonderful artist and humanitarian. Uh, and with that, uh, I guess we'll just take it out on that, man. Maybe you know what I'm saying, Tom. Shout, of course, to the whole production team, Tom and Justin behind the scene. Um, uh, every week holding me down, regardless of if you hear their voices or not. And like, like I said, I gave all my co-hosts the week off. And right now I'm going to sit here. I'm going to drink, allegedly, a hot tea with lemon. Uh, maybe just a Four loco with Dustin from Torturous Inception on the street outside of uh, St. Vitus, who knows? Um, and I'm going to reflect uh, and, and picture and think of all my co-hosts on, on the on the sands of Tahiti with little Tony B. Because when it comes to Tony Bennett, rest in peace, there was only one. from your lonesome past Keeps us so far apart Why can't I free your doubtful mind? And melt your cold, cold heart